Hi, folks. Welcome back to another uh, episode of the Outside Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Ebersole, and I'm here with my partners, Aaron Bumgardner and Slade Johnson. We, uh, it's been a while since we made one of these, but we're back at it again in the new year. So let's do a little catch-up, uh, Slade, and let's talk, start with you. What's been happening in the new year? Man, we've uh, real estate has been rolling right now. It's the busiest month I've had in, in two years. So um, just a lot of deal activity. We're looking at three different tracks today and um, put – Put one under contract this morning. Two had two closings yesterday, so it's it's rocking and rolling right now. Just trying to uh, keep the train going. Hopefully, any uh, any uh, potential um, outlook uh, projections or predictions you have for us, given it's twenty twenty four now. You know, I think um, just from what I'm seeing, I think there's a lot of comfortability with where rates are in the market, um, especially from the recreational side. So I, you know, I really think we're going to have one of the, one of the best years we've had in a, in a couple, maybe, um, or at least better than last year. So, uh, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I know as far as our agents, we've got about 75 or so agents. I think, um, you've kind of got mixed opinions across the board, but overly, overall, everybody's pretty optimistic and, um, you know, I, I think everybody has kind of some big expectations for this year. So I know I'm uh, I'm hoping it can stay like it is right now for sure. <laughs> yeah, good. That's good. It's, I know the whole Sun Belt's kind of a popping area, so that's not surprising to hear that. Aaron, let's catch up with you. What's happening with you in the new year? Well, I uh, I did a lot of traveling over the new year. We were in Puerto Rico for about eight, nine days, and uh, over in Recon, Puerto Rico, the western end of the island surfing, one of the most famous surf breaks in the world, uh, was home to the world champion surf, so world, world surfing championship at one time, so a uh, very historical, honored place for surfing, so we were over there uh, exploring and hanging out and, and taking in the, the Puerto Rican culture and food and, and whatnot, and so... Uh, and then, um, let's see, I came back and was ready to start the new year around January the 8th and I got sick. Oh, wow. And so I was, I was sick for an entire week, um, almost in the bed every day sick. And, uh, and then, um, uh, no, I was sick for a second week and, um, finally starting to get better now. So, uh, you, you know, it's kind of been the past several days has kind of been a little bit odd for me because I feel like I'm just really starting the year. Um, and so uh, last week I was in Barbados for a speaking at a fintech conference. Uh, all of the Carib- Caribbean islands, Caribbean islands uh, were there represented the Bahamas, Jamaica, Barbados, of course, uh, Trinidad. And speaking about digital assets, uh, land tokenization, what we're doing outside. What really jumped out at me at that conference is a community and countries that are working to build technologies to create a better financial system because they're the, you know, you, you have a lot of inter-island exchange and trading going on between the Bahamas, Jamaica, Turks and Caicos, British Virgin Islands, et cetera. And they all operate under different systems, different currencies, um, you, you know, a lot of siloed 
uh, type stuff, you know, traditionally there. So I saw a lot of, a lot of innovation happening to essentially create a powerful community of these island nations and, and these countries collectively. And so, you know, it's fascinating when a, when a, when a community, um, needs, uh, the tools, uh, technology innovation to, to essentially keep up with the rest of the world, they'll build it and they certainly have there. And so, uh, a lot of technology and innovation coming out of that part of the world that is uh, flying deeply under the radar, in my opinion. Um, you know, connected with uh, with a young man that took a took a company public on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. I didn't even know Jamaica yeah, had a stock exchange. <laughs> and you know, he, he's essentially taken his company public and built a, a unicorn company, a billion dollar wow. company uh, on the Jamaica Stock Exchange, essentially a lending platform. And so. Uh, um, super nice guy. We'll, we'll try, try to get him on the podcast and we'll get him to talk about his, his journey because, uh, it's a great, it's a great story. And so, uh, connect with him and connect with some others that, that as well connected. Um, uh, I think I could kind of publicly talk about this. It's our podcast, so it's not going to be, it's not like a 10 million people are going to see this. Um, but, um, outside is in the, uh, early stages of building a, partnership with Rohan Marley, son of Bob Marley. And we are essentially uh, going to tokenize, uh, work together to tokenize some coffee farm opportunities. They have a uh, Marley coffee down in Jamaica. So, uh, so that'll be exciting. And his son, YG Marley right now is number one on the reggae charts, uh, trending all across all social media. So, uh, so really cool, coffee really cool. <laughs> Yeah, really, really cool time to be connected. So, uh, so anyway, super. I, I think the I think a lot of Rohan, super, super nice guy, just excellent, down to earth. Um, you know, easy to get along with, just nice as could be. And then also, uh, Chris Jones uh, had dinner with him as well. His father was the lead guitarist for the band Foreigner, so we all had dinner together. So that was really a great experience. Yeah. You know, you could imagine there was a little bit of a uh, dinner table karaoke going on. <laughs> Um, you know, don't, don't stop believing with yeah. a few times. <laughs> there so. you go. There you go. Wow. That sounds awesome. Well, good. It's good to hear from you guys. Good to catch up. Um, we do have a guest today. Um, we're going to let him in here shortly. Zach shake is from the Dallas Fort Worth area. He's, um, he's a private wealth manager, a tax strategist, and he, um, helps people save money on their taxes. And we've partnered up with him through his private wealth management to be one of his funds um, that he provides uh, to his clients that allows them to invest in farmland and conservation projects and actually save money on their taxes. So, Zach, it's good to have you here. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your gazillion uh, uh, licenses that you hold and how you got to this point of uh, helping people save money on taxes? Yeah, well, Wayne, thank you for having me. And... uh... I'm glad to be here today. So essentially, my journey started 30 years ago. I uh, joined the business when I was only 18 years old, literally right after graduating high school in uh, Long Island, New York. And then as I got one license, I said, well, how does this knowledge connect to other knowledge, what other people do? And I just kept on going and going. Like there's that rap song that says something like, my hip bone is connected to my knee bone and so on and so forth. And that's the journey I kind of took uh, over the years, amassing over 30 licenses and designations 
<clears throat> which uh, includes nine uh, insurance licenses, three investment licenses, tax certifications, investment banking, merchant banking, uh, lending, so on and so forth, kept on going and going. So now I'm able to see the financial universe in a fishbowl. And as I've been able to see this thing clearer and clearer, I have realized that despite the best uh, tax advice that accountants, CPAs, even some of the top five uh, accounting firms may give, if you compare to what the top accounting firms advice that they're giving to an average CPA uh, at the street corner, it's essentially the same, except they're dealing with seven, eight, nine figure guys versus the local guys only dealing you know, with a six figure guy. That's really the only difference is what I have found as I travel the country, as I speak to large groups of hedge fund managers and some very, very intelligent people who themselves are attorneys and, and CPAs. And they are amazed that they're not aware of this knowledge that I am talking about. So what is it that I am talking about, you might be wondering. <clears throat> so we have five separate income tax mitigation strategies where regardless of the type of income you have, for example, W-2 income, 1099 income, or K-1 income, we are able to zero out, literally zero out your taxable income. And this is without Section 179 deductions, without any bonus depreciation, without beefing up your expenses, which is typically the advice uh, you know, tax preparers give to their uh, clients that, hey, what other expenses do you have to write off? So we get away from all of that. Why? Because it generates an auditable situation. You are very highly likely to get audited for some type of expenses that you may claim. So we like to get away from that and focus strictly on the IRS tax code which allows us to zero out your income taxes or even your capital gains taxes. And on your capital gains tax side, we have 15 separate strategies that, once again, allow you to zero out not only your real estate-based capital gains, but also your personal property. So I have clients who have uh, – I have a client out of Boston who bought a Lamborghini Countach for $80,000 <clears> 15 years ago and sold it for almost a million dollars a couple of years ago. So that's personal property. How do you not pay capital gains tax on that personal property? So those are some of the areas that we utilize. So when it comes to your investors who are looking to invest in farmland, a lot of the times they would hear, hey, when you invest in farmland, you get this 30% deduction, right? This 30% number that everybody hears about. They say, well, if you invest in farmland, the government gives you a 30% tax deduction. That particular advice is akin to somebody saying, do Section 179, do a 1031 exchange. These are basic, common, known strategies. Everybody has heard these terms before. Hey, invest in a 401k or something like that, or invest through your self-directed IRA. This is what I call run-of-the-mill, common, basic advice. And what all of these strategies do not do is, number one, they do not zero out your income tax liability. And number two, they open you up to audits because there's a very high likelihood of an audit. So utilizing what we call pre-tax investing strategies, you don't have to be on the crutch of the 30% uh, deduction that the IRS automatically offers without asking. 
But by asking is what we do, which is utilizing tax rate, you can write off 100% or up to 100% of your taxable income. Now, there's a big difference between the term taxable income versus gross income. Gross income is what you bring at the top line, right? Then you take depreciation, your exemptions, your write-offs, and so on and so forth. And you land on this bottom line on the first page of your 1040 that says your taxable income is X. And that's what you pay taxes on. So what we typically say to all of our clients, our CPA clients, our tax attorney uh, partners, is that where a CPA services end is where our services begin. So coming full circle, what this means to anybody investing in farmland uh, or any type of a strategy like that, they're able to exponentially double and triple and even quadruple their IRR, their internal rate of return, because they're able to invest a big chunk of that 30, 40, 50% of the dollars that they would have written a check to the IRS for in terms of their income taxes, they're able to redirect what we call tax rescue dollars into farm investing. So that's free money, right? So although I just said that you can double and triple, but your real rate of return is infinity because it's found money. Would you agree? So Zach, let, Zach let's, let's back up here a minute. Let's back up here a minute. How many... Different licenses do you have? About 30. 30? 30 and, licenses and designations. And what what exactly do you call yourself? <laughs> I'm a financial strategist. Okay. You're a financial strategist. Financial right? strategist. And so, mm -hmm. and so and so you're based where? Dallas, Texas. Okay. And so uh, so essentially um, you're you're not a CPA. Right. You're, you're not that. You're a private wealth manager. You're a, pri a you're private, pri wealth pri private wealth manager. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you're a private right. wealth manager. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, got it. Interesting. I just wanted to back <laughs> way up there and just make sure, sure I had the, sure, the, the basis covered. Okay. Got Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these people, <clears throat> just, just the way we deal with, uh, so a, a better way uh, to analogize what I do <clears throat> is that, a CPA, a tax attorney, an insurance agent, an investment broker, all of these individuals are like the guy at Jiffy Lube. They know how to change the oil in your car. They specialize in that one mm -hmm. particular service that they know about. I'm the guy, I'm the engineer who understands how a hood is different from a trunk, not just how to change your oil, although we do offer oil <laughs> changes on a part-time basis. <laughs> So the name of the company is Saber, Sa wealth Saber Private Wealth Management. Saber Wealth. You got it. Got yep. it. Saber okay. and Saber is an Arabic word, actually, which actually means patience or peace. So we want to bring you that peace and patience in your finances. Where right now, <clears throat> you know, we're in the middle of a tax season, and a lot of people are very, very anxious. They have a high level of anxiety because if they made a lot of money, they don't want to pay a lot of money in taxes. If they didn't make a lot of money. They're saying, how do I not pay taxes because I didn't make enough money? So either way you look at it, there's this push and pull. Everybody's trying to hold on to the dollars. There's tons of unemployment going on. Real estate values are crashing. Uh, you know, I mean, Bitcoin is down from its highest highs. So there's a lot of anxiety and stress in, in, in the economy. And we like to bring that, that, Patience and well, that, Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin know, is down. Valve. Bitcoin is down if you bought above forty three thousand. 
But if you right. bought it, but if you bought it twenty three thousand, you're loving life right now. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. Well, I mean, I've I've been buying Bitcoin for a very long time, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> but generally speaking, right now, what's going on? Uh, you know, with the with the, the grayscale and all that stuff, the the GTBC, uh, the GBTC uh, people. Anyway, coming back to our discussion. So, what questions do you think I may answer here that may help your investors and any listeners? Um, of this conversation. Well, let me let me let me ask. A, 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 you know, I'm looking at the website and trying to, to get my head around what you do, who you are, what's going on. We we clearly, obviously, uh, Wayne, you, you know, Wayne Slade and I don't know you, and so uh, we, we may have some questions. Um, you used sure. the example about the the gentleman that bought the Lamborghini for eighty thousand and then sold it for a million. Um, it, you know, it looks like to me that on the website that uh, you you know it says. Uh, one client at a time, families, charitable organizations, business owners with $5 million to more than $100 million in net worth have consulted Mr. Shake. Uh, is that typically the, the, you know, the minimum threshold $5 million, or can someone that bought an $80,000 Lamborghini and is selling it for a million come to you and, and receive your services? And, and you know, will you take on somebody that's selling a million-dollar Lamborghini? As opposed to you know a twenty million dollar uh, net worth. Certainly. So uh, I guess uh, if I understand your question correctly, is that would we work with a lower net worth person? Is that well, well, you, what you're you know what, what what is what is the threshold for for you know how do you get paid? How do you charge? How how do, how do you work with the client? How does that all work? You, you know that's what I'm looking for. Certainly. So let me answer your first question first. So to us, when we work with, uh, you know, hedge fund partners such as yourselves, uh, we take all comers. So you may have an investor that may only make 100000 a year, but says, hey, I, I want to invest. But if I can invest more tax efficiently, and because we sort of get them, quote unquote, in bulk through our hedge fund partner channels, uh, such as Big Sky uh, and uh, Fund. So, so that's number one. So we do not discriminate. But... In my experience of doing this for 30 years, the higher income somebody makes, the more in tune they are with the messages that I just shared with you. They seem to be a lot more tax conscious. A guy that makes a half a million a year, and I think that's really been my experience, is a lot more in tune with a guy that makes 350000 a year. 350 guys just not even thinking about tax planning. He, to him, it's a foreign term. But at half a million, that consciousness wake, wakes up in people's minds for some weird reason. And, but if they make 5 million, my God, you know, they're literally drooling at the mouth, talking to me saying, Hey, how is this happening? You know, I have several clients who earn $1.52 million personal income and they, every word out of my mouth is like gospel to them. Right. So, so that's number one. So how do we get paid? So what we have done uh, to set ourselves apart on top of these advanced tax planning strategies is that we have made it strictly performance-based. So until and unless our client benefits from our services, we feel we have not earned the income or the fees that we charge them. So what does that mean? So for instance, if a client had a $100,000 income tax bill, now remember, this is a tax bill that their CPA says is now due because they took all the deductions, all the depreciation, every single thing that their CPA or tax attorney could do, but even then, they ended up with a number on which they have to pay taxes. 
because we are able to zero out that number, whatever taxes, so this, in this example, this 100,000 was the tax bill. Again, I'm giving you a very basic low-level example. Our fee is 30% of the taxes saved. In other words, $30,000. So in essence, it's a no-cost transaction to the client or to the investor because they were, they were supposed to write a $100,000 check to the IRS until we showed up, mm-hmm. right? If we weren't there, the CPA said, hey, write your check. Have a nice day. So that's a that's someone so who, who you know that, that's a, yeah that's a, that's an income based scenario right as, that, that mm-hmm. you just gave. What about a yes. capital gains based scenario? You have a technology exactly company the founder. Exactly the same situation. Same, but, but they, the but they, company founder is going to be. A, go ahead. But they but they you, you don't have the the tax bill in the past to look back on. You know they went from a company this, that was worth we're not zero at a past six, tax bill. Yeah, yeah so, we're not looking at it, but we're looking at the current tax bill. The CPA is going to say, hey, for 2023, you made X income. Y were your deductions. Z is your taxable income. And now this is what your tax bill is. So I used an example of a $100,000 tax bill. So may it be income taxes or may it be capital gains taxes? Because as you know, capital gain is also a type of income that shows up on the 1040. Mm-hmm. So we still show up on the same Ticker and, and income tax and capital gain is like an event-based thing, right? Hey, I started in your, using your example, a tech-based company out of my garage, and now it's called Microsoft. Now I'm selling my company, right? So that's a personal property that they're selling, which in the tax code, as of Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, President Trump had eliminated any 1031, which, believe it or not, used to exist for personal property, no yep. longer exists. It only exists in real estate now. So we're able to zero out. So again, what the total tax bill is. So you can't like separate the two. You can't say, well, uh, you know, uh, I have, I have just capital gains this year, but which is also. Well, what what I, what I was, what I was getting at is you don't have a history. So there's not, you you know, you've gone from, you've gone from. It doesn't matter. There's no history needed. Company, company founder. And it was a hypothetical here. Company founder in 2015. And now we're 2024. And they've grown the company into a hundred million dollar company, right? And, and so now they're looking at a liquidity event for, you, you know, uh, say forty million dollars, which is their percentage of the company at that point. How are you? Certainly. How are you billing, invoicing that client, that founder, and, and saving them taxes on that forty million dollar exit, that liquidity event? Fantastic. So great question. So if I can break that down for you, so let's say forty million dollar is their capital gain, right? Yep. That's the money they're supposed to pay taxes on. Now, we're not talking about their income, just capital gain. They may be making a million dollars a year in salary. Forget that for a second. They might, they might not even be taking a salary. They might not have taken a salary. Whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Take income. Don't take right. salary. doesn't matter. Just focusing on capital gains for, for a moment. Now, depending on where you reside in the country, your capital gain tax bill is going to be different for a person living in New York versus a person living in Florida. Right. Because Florida does not have state income taxes versus New York will have state income taxes. So by the time and New York, especially in Manhattan, I've I've worked with several clients uh, in Manhattan where not only do you have the federal capital gains tax, you have the New York state and then you have the New York City capital gains tax, which could be as high as four percent. So 
And now you have to throw on top of that 3.8%, which is called the NIIT tax, net investment income tax, right? So by the time you add this up, comparing a New York person to a Florida person, a New York person could pay as high as 50% on capital gains tax. And I'm talking about long-term capital gains, not even short-term, like, like using your example, started in 2015, selling in 2024. They could be paying 50% versus a guy in Florida, same person, is paying 42% in taxes between federal and state. So of that 40 million that Aaron so used, that's a big number. you're going to so, take, say, 50% in New York, and then your fee is 30% of the 